Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm Erica Allen. I'm one of the pastors here at Horizon, and it is so, so good to see all of you here this morning. I'm so glad um, to see you. So we're going to continue our message series, Work For It, Pray For It. It's a study of the book of James. James is um, a pastor in, you know, about... 40, 50 years after Jesus died. He's presumed to be the brother of Jesus. Um, sorry. Oh, that's my watch. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Siri's talking to me. Um, anyway, she was like, sorry, I didn't get that. Well, you need to improve your Bible skills, Siri. Um, sorry about that. All right. <laughs> Work for it. Pray for it. So James is presumed to be the brother of Jesus. And... Um, he, in this letter, he writes to, to new Christians who have, have just fallen in love with this movement of Jesus, who in the early days of following Jesus are absolutely like, as Shelley described people who had a fire in their belly, just this passion for sharing God's love and redemption and forgiveness with the world, but who over time were beginning to show less and less and less evidence in their actions of people who believed in a God who could transform the world. So if this morning you're here and you're like, you know, I've just kind of lost that fire in my belly that I had for Jesus. You're in the right place. We're going to talk this morning about how you can work for it because following Jesus doesn't come natural. It takes some intentional steps and some intentional work and how you can pray for it. No matter how many unnatural and intentional and hardworking steps you take, you won't be enough until you acknowledge that God only can fill you with a purpose that will provide meaning for you in a world starving for it. This morning we're going to talk about how you can work for it and pray for it. If this morning you've, you're here and you're like, Erica, I've never really made the decision to follow Jesus or to believe in him. And I, 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 I like you talk some days and I believe maybe you're talking about a Jesus who's compelling this morning. I want to tell you that this morning we're going to talk about ways that you can come alive in the purpose that Jesus has for your life. If some of you have made a decision, I talked to someone this week who has made a decision to take her next step into following Jesus and she wants to be baptized. If you are ready to make that step, do not leave this place today without seeing me or Pastor Chris. We're ready to help you take that next step of following Jesus, of marking this moment in your life where you were like, I want to follow Jesus. I want to live in a way that's compelling in a world hungry and thirsty for the way of Jesus. I want to work for it and I want to pray for it. And our church wants to do that alongside of you. So if you've made that decision, please make sure you talk to Chris or I before you leave today. We're going to talk about one of my very favorite things this morning, and that is how we use our words how we use our words to show others the light of Jesus. This is my least favorite because you, if you've spent any amount of time with me, you know that my MO is to speak before I think. Things come, if you were here last week, you know that. I said things last week. I was like, oh, that is out there and I can't get it back. Um, has anybody had those moments before in your life where you're like, oh, I can't get those words back? I tend to be like that. There, but there are some of you who are on the opposite end of the spectrum, and you need to speak. God has asked you and 
given you a powerful word to speak and you hold it deep in your belly and you don't share it with a world who's desperate for it because you don't have the courage to share it with the world. This morning we're going to talk about how we work for it and pray for it with the words that we say, that we speak, that we type on social media, that we email, that we tweet, that we text, that we voicemail, that we email. We're going to talk about how others can see Jesus and the compelling movement of Jesus in our words. When I was in third grade, my sister was in first grade and she got a brand new pair of glasses. That is not a great time in life to get a brand new pair of glasses, but I thought her glasses were the coolest thing I had ever seen in my entire life. In fact, I desperately wanted also to get to wear a pair of glasses. On her first day to school with these glasses, I think I have a picture of me and her. Is there a picture of me and my sister? Uh, yep, that's her. So that's me um, in the blue shirt. That's my sister in the coolest glasses ever. How cool are those? And that's my mom. That was back in the day. I won't tell you how many years ago, but you can probably guess by the style of those clothes in that picture. But my sister has these really cool glasses, and we get on the bus. We, every day when we left school, we, drove, we rode the bus from the school to my grandmother's house. We spent the afternoon at my grandmother's house every um, every afternoon after school. And so we get on the bus, and me and my sister sat in the first seat. Um, I was a tiny little third grader, so I sat up close to the tiny little other kindergarten kids. Um, me and my sister sat together. And in the back of the bus um, on this on this afternoon on the way home, this girl stands up. She's a little older than me, a lot bigger than me, and she goes, hey, Rebecca, that's my sister's name, hey, Rebecca, those glasses make you look like you have four eyes. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going I'm to punch this girl. And then she goes, and those freckles on your face make you look like a pizza face. Four eyes pizza face. That's what I'm going to call you. And I was like, who does this girl think she is? And my sister, I will never forget those sweet little eyes behind me. I remember her face going together. She didn't say a word. She didn't speak. And I could see her trying to hold so hard, hold that tear back. And then I watched her accidentally let this one little tear slide down her face. And I was mad. I got my Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper out of my backpack. I took it to the back of the bus and I took that girl who said that to my sister. I used it between me and her and I put her up against that window and I told her she was going to have black and blue eyes if she ever said that to my sister again and I would eat her like a pizza if my sister ever got off that bus crying again. Yeah, that's a real mature action, wasn't it? Um, so now we're going to read what James has to say about that. <laughs> um, but seriously, there are moments, right? Every single person in this room can remember. Do we have a picture of my Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper up here? Uh, that is a powerful weapon right there. <laughs> uh, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> but she didn't mess with my sister anymore. Um, and I remember, I, it's really funny, I called my sister this week and I was, we were like reminiscing about this story. I was like, do you remember that? Rebecca's like, yeah, I remember it. But she was like, you know what I remember more than that? She's like, I can kind of remember that story, but the story that I remember every day when I walk into first grade to teach my kids is not you having to take up for me with that kid who said something they shouldn't have. I remember my first grade teacher, the first thing she told me when I walked in the, in the classroom was cool glasses. And it really didn't matter what that girl said to me on the bus because that was the first thing I heard. I believed it. And now as a first grade teacher, I make sure other kids hear something really good come out of my mouth first because that's what they will believe about themselves. I don't have to tell you all the power of words. 
Every single person sitting in here right now can remember someone saying something to you hurtful that made you angry. You can remember that moment of holding tears back and maybe letting one slide down your cheek. You can remember the moment of seeing someone do that to somebody else. And every single person in here, I hope, can remember a time that an adult spoke a life-giving, life-changing word to you, and it changed everything. This morning, I have one question for you. What kind of story do you want people telling about you in 20 years? Do you want them to say that they... that you looked at someone in the very first moment at 8 o'clock in the morning when a six-year-old walked in your room and you said, cool glasses, or do you want to be the person that everybody remembers, came back at somebody, had something ugly to say all the time, complained all the time? What story do you want told about you and your life in 20 years? Because I want to tell you something else. You know what else I remember about Miss Small? She, she quit teaching first grade five years later and went to be a missionary Um, in in an elementary school somewhere else because she wanted to share the love of Jesus with people. But I remember remember her saying cool glasses and that was a moment where Jesus' love was made real without his name ever having to be spoken. That's the kind of people God has asked those of you in these seats to be. To work for a different world by the words that you speak. I know we all like awesome missional programs that are impacting and changing the world. I've loved the prison ministry that I did in Nashville. I've loved that work. But if you want to make a real difference, if you want to make a real difference, start with the words that come out of your mouth in a world desperate to hear life-giving words that they can believe about themselves. Work for it. And I love you. I love every single person in here. It is not natural for us to speak life-giving, light-shining words in a world that needs it. It is actually hard work. You're going to have to pray for it. You need the grace and courage and strength of God to be able to speak those words into the lives of people around us. So let's look. If you have your Bibles with me, if you'll turn to James chapter 3, we're going to read through some of these verses this morning to hear how it is James says we need to be. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, my fellow people who follow Jesus. Not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly All of us are called to be teachers. We are called, every single person in here, part of your purpose is to teach the world about the generous love of God. But the world that needs to know, needs to know that because they are looking at you and they are going to judge you strictly if you follow the way of Jesus and you try to teach. We all stumble. Okay, James is like, we all stumble in many ways. We're not going to get it perfect. That's not, what, that's not what we're asking. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, so nobody's perfect is what he's saying, able to keep their whole body in check. Now listen to how powerful James says the, the wor- your words are. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. A bit is this big. It's like two inches long. When you put it in the mouth of a horse, you can steer it wherever you want it to go. Or take ships as an example. We live in Tampa. We know about ships. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, we have some sailors in here, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, 
the tongue, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Has anybody said a word or been, you know, been the victim of a word being spoken and it knocks your entire day or life or week off course? The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by humankind. But no human being can tame your tongue by yourself. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. We have to work for it, but we also have to pray for it. If you're saying things constantly that are hurting other people, it's because you need to pray for God to be at work in your life a little more because your tongue is just naturally full of deadly poison is what it says. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. It is capable of doing good and amazing things. It is capable of looking at a six-year-old and saying cool glasses. It is capable of looking at a partner and saying you are beautiful and you offer good things to the world. It is capable of looking at people at your workplace who haven't heard a nice thing spoken to them in weeks. It is capable of noticing some gift in them and calling it out. With your tongue, we praise our God. And with it, we can curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. If there is somebody that you just want to rip open with your words, they have been made in God's likeness. Take just a deep breath and think about that. Because out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, and this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So, James, I'd like to know how we could be able to say words that are life-giving. Gary Chapman was a pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, when I was growing up. It was the nearest, it was the biggest church, like, close to where I grew up in North Carolina. He wrote the five love languages, you may have heard of that book, and he says this, I'll never forget, I heard one sermon he preached his whole life, and this image has never left my mind. He said that if he was James, this is how he would have written it, our words have the power to be bullets or seeds. They have the power to be bullets or seeds. They can absolutely destroy and weaponize or they can fall on cool, dark ground and grow into something amazing. What do you want to be remembered as? People who are planting seeds with your words or hurling bullets. I've loved that image in this season, in this world that feels so dark and empty and hard so much of the time lately. Anybody feel like that? And what happens when we start firing bullets off in a dark and hurting world? It's going to hit somebody and we don't even know who, right? But what happens? What happens in the dark and cool ground in the middle of winter? Seeds take life And something amazing can grow out of them. What kind of person do you want to be? A person who follows Jesus and is planting life, giving seeds? 
using your words to build up and encourage others? Or do you want to be somebody who's hurting and setting fire and causing chaos and calamity in the world around us? So how do we begin How do we begin to speak these words? In James 3, verse 17, um, so James chapter 3, verse 17, it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So, If we want to be able to speak words like that, we've got to be connected to a God whose wisdom from heaven is pure, is peace-loving. Are your words about loving peace? Are considerate? Are submissive? Are full of mercy? The power of God's mercy, guys. Forgiveness and love injected into situations that just feel absolutely obsolete of any kind of goodness or light, full of mercy and good fruit. They're impartial and they are sincere. If you want to speak those kinds of words, you're going to have to be connected to God and God's wisdom. If you want your words to be seeds, if you want them to fall in the dark and cold night and grow into something good, you've got to be connected to the peace-loving and pure and good wisdom of God. You've got to spend some time every day praying you got to spend some time every day reading God's Bible, reading this word that God has given to us for such a time as this. You've got to be connected to the word and to the wisdom of God if you want to be a person who speaks words that are seeds falling on the ground. We have to work for it. We have to work for it. We have to read and connect. We have to set time aside in our lives and in our our work and everything we do. We have to set some time aside to connect to God. We have to work for it and we have to pray for it. Just making step after step after step and being a better person and speaking better words isn't enough. We're going to have to have the love and grace that only comes from God to be able to speak those words. The second is that we we speak words of peace. Before you speak, what does it look like to count to three and say, are these words about peace? I don't mean uh, there's no fighting, there's no, there's no moment ever where you speak a hard truth. I am not saying that. In fact, I'm going to talk about it in a few minutes. But I'm asking you, before you speak, before you type a social media post, before you send a tweet or a text message, before you nail your husband or a child or whatever. Ask yourself, are these words going to bring about the peace of God? Now remember, Jesus turned some, tem- some tables over in the temple. He wasn't walking around just saying nice, kind, loving, polite things to people. Jesus spoke words of truth out of love. But it was about God's peace coming on the wor- in, the, in the world. So are you speaking words of peace? And to know about God's peace, you've got to be, again, connected to God's wisdom and goodness. You've got to spend some time praying. You've got to get yourself in a small group and surround yourself with some people who are going to hold you accountable and say, this is what I hear. This is where I hear God's peace and transformation bubbling up in the world. Because as you connect to those, it's going to flow out of your mouth. Because God's praise can come out of your mouth, right? So I need to ask you this morning, are you speaking words of peace? My small group is the number one place that helps me with this. Because when I'm gossiping about somebody, when I'm saying things I shouldn't say, when I'm using the H-A-T-E word about everything in my life, when I'm starting to say things that I know I shouldn't be saying, my small group is the one who says, hey, Erica, 
Is everything else in touch in your life? I know, guys, I want us out there impacting the world, doing life-changing things, but our words matter. They absolutely matter, and we've got to be thinking about words of peace. Are we speaking words of peace? And are we speaking the right words without selfish ambition? So in, in James chapter 3, it says, who is wise, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility. Are you humble? In humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. It is important that we speak the right words without selfish ambition. James is not asking us to be polite or politically correct. James is asking us to speak words without selfish ambition. Is there a time at work where somebody's made a racial slur or a racial joke where you need to stand up against that? And it is easier for you, it is better for your job for you to ignore it and pretend like it wasn't said? Or can you speak a word of truth in that moment and work towards God's peace that is deserved to be in the world? Many of you see I have on this Braves jersey today. I am super excited about the Braves heading to the World Series. They haven't done this since I was a little kid. I sat many summer nights and watched Braves baseball games with my, um, with my grandpas. We watched Chipper Jones, like, you know, just send home runs in the field, and Tom Glavin pitch. I, it was good memory, so I'm super excited about the Braves. Um, in fact, this jersey, Chris saved up his allowance for two years when he was eight years old to buy this jersey. It has Chipper Jones number 10 on it, and he had Alan embroidered on the back of it. And when it no longer fit him, he married a wife that <laughs> could wear his jersey forever and ever. But I wore this jersey to a game um, right before we moved to Tampa from Nashville. We went to an Atlanta Braves game, and it was Hank Aaron's Social Justice Award night. Hank Aaron hit, the, he crushed Babe Ruth's uh, home run record in the middle of the civil rights era. In fact, five years after Martin Luther King Jr. died, before it was a national holiday or people were holding Martin Luther King Jr. up as a hero, um, Hank Aaron stopped a press conference and asked if they could have a moment of silence for Dr. Martin Luther King on the anniversary of his assassination. In moments where Hank Aaron could have sat back and been quiet, he spoke. I, I want you, I have this quote that I want you to hear this morning that he said after he hit the 715th home run crushing Babe Ruth's record, he says, it still hurts a little bit inside because I think it has chipped away at a part of my life that I will never have again. I didn't enjoy myself. A black man in the heart of the deep south, working hard, chasing a record. He said, I didn't enjoy myself. It was hard for me to enjoy something that I had worked very hard for. God had given me the ability to play baseball. Did you hear that? He knew his purpose. God had given me a purpose. And people in this country chipped away at me. He got hate mail day after day after day after day for years and years and years. 
He said, so it was tough. And all of those things happened simply because I was a black person. In a moment in the stadium when everyone had given him a standing ovation and everyone just needed him to say thank you, thank you for being here for this record-shattering moment, he spoke a word of truth that helped our nation begin to recognize we've got to work for a day where there is actual peace where someone can live into the purpose God has called them into and not get hate mail after hate mail after hate mail. That we've got to live in a nation where, where, no, where little boys, no matter what color they are, can play in the major leagues and enjoy doing something they love. That little girls are told that they have the power and the capability to do anything they dream of. Is that the kind of world that we live in? It's the kind of world James talks about. It's the kind of God that, Jesus, that, that James says Jesus is. It's a, it's a God who through Jesus offers us transformation and redemption and reconciliation. And things as simple as the words we say to other people matters. This week, some of you in here need to be challenged to take a deep breath and make sure the word that you're about to say is a seed. It is a word of peace and goodness and love in the world. And some of you have been quiet for way too long. And you need to be challenged to step forward with courage and grace and speak a word that needs to be said. Because you may, you may be opening up the world for God's transformation. I'm praying for you this week that you will work for that and that you will pray for it. This week, I want you to either speak a courageous and hard word or I want you to make sure you're speaking words of peace this week. Because that is how people will know that the people in this, gathered in this auditorium, are ready to share the goodness and the transformation that God has for us through Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for each person in this room. I pray that you will use their words to build up lives around them. I thank you for teachers who said to six-year-olds, cool glasses. I thank you for the names of people that were thought of and lifted up to you during this very message, people who spoke life and goodness over us. We pray for forgiveness for the moments our own words haven't given that to other people. We ask you in your mercy to heal us from the words other people have spoken to us and over us that have hurt us and angered us and pained us. And we pray, God, that this morning, because we gathered in a middle school auditorium to worship you, that you will use our hands and our feet and our bodies and our words and our mouths, God, to bring glory and goodness to you and to the transformation you have for our world. Amen. This morning, my friend Nancy Reka is going to come and lead communion. Nancy is a pastor in New York, and we are so very glad that she is here. And as she comes, I'm also going to embarrass someone. But a youth that I had when I was training to be a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, is here and has surprised us this morning. And so as we have communion and recognize that we have a moment to come together and to, to celebrate what it is God does in God's church, I am so thankful for the many people God has brought here this morning.